0: Hey now, we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. Dada. With NXT in your house instant analysis that's right getting over is back once again and we are here just minutes following the conclusion of the latest premium live event from nxt in your house going down saturday night 24 hours before wwe Hell in a Cell. Your boy, the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, is here to break this entire show down, and we are going to do it all in this episode. Yes, another instant analysis for your ear holes coming out of an instant reaction podcast on Friday, ahead of another instant analysis podcast, of course, coming for you Sunday night with WWE, Hell in a Cell, but it would not be an episode of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. If I did not remind you off the top that this podcast is all about divine. So be sure to head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave a five-star rating on Apple. Also, leave a review. Let everyone know why you listen to the show, why you subscribe, and why they should subscribe as well. Also, please do not forget to follow us on Twitter at getting overcast not only do we tweet live during all the major shows we do live audio shows ahead of premium live events and pay-per-views we did one this evening right before nxt in your house extremely well attended it was great to speak with some of you and answer questions and provide uh, pre-show commentary ahead of nxt we're going to do another one of these let's not forget sunday ahead of wwe hell in a cell. Now, normally at this juncture on an instant analysis, the Silver King would be cracking open a cold one. The only reason I'm not doing that tonight is because I am writing solo. Vintage Chris Fanini is not with me. And because I'm basically just going to be talking this entire time, if I cracked open a beer, it would really just be for you guys to hear the crack. Uh, It would be sitting here getting warm while I talk the entire show. So you should feel free to do that. Please crack your beers right now or or your drinks. Join me uh, as we break down NXT In your house, but I will open mine when I do the editing for this podcast uh, between the end of me speaking and you hearing it for the first time. So, look, uh, NXT in your house, uh, you know, we'll get to the overall feelings of the show at the end when we give our post show grades and takeaways. But let's kick things off with our pre show expectation grades, a reminder of what I was at coming into the show. And also, we, of course, Dropped a poll for all of you, our getting overheads, our listeners and our followers on Twitter to vote as well. So I came in with a B grade. I didn't necessarily think the card was that great from an overall construction standpoint. I thought there would be a couple matches that could come out and steal the show, but I wasn't that enthusiastic about the co-main events, which were the NXT Championship match, uh, Braun Breaker against Joe Gacy and the NXT Women's Championship match, Mandy Rose against Wendy even like, even though I like all four of those people, I, I wasn't thrilled with what it was built like coming in. So I went with a B and you, the listeners, completely agreed with me. 12% said A for your pre-show expectation, 64% B, 22% C, and 2% D and F. That rounds out to a flat B. So once again, we were all aligned going into the show Um, And, you know, the only other note that I kind of wanted to provide before we kind of start breaking this entire thing down. This was the first NXT event since TakeOver Toronto in 2019, where every title on the brand was defended on the show. Now, I don't remember whether the Women's Tag Team Championships existed in 2019. I don't think they did, Um, but I think the Cruiserweight Championship may have. So obviously there are different titles technically that we're talking about, but all five championships were defended on this show, which is a stark, stark contrast from what we're getting Sunday night at WWE Hell in a Cell, where one championship is being defended on that pay-per-view, premium live event, whatever you want to call it. And it just kind of goes to show that even when the match card perhaps isn't that strong, the fact that you have stakes for your matches, that you have titles, championships on the line, it helps them naturally create value while you are watching the show. And that is pretty much what I believe happened on Saturday night. So the way we're gonna do this NXT In Your House instant analysis for any first-time listeners of the show, we start uh, the opposite way the card does. We start with the main event, and then we go down the most important things That happened on the show, usually ending with the low card, and at the end, we of course give you our post-show overall grade, and the listeners had the opportunity uh, to vote on that as well. The voting is still continuing as I uh, tape this podcast, but by the time it's over, it will pretty much be in the books and ready to share. So let's get into the instant analysis, and we start with the main event. As I said, the NXT Championship on the line, Braun Breaker defending against Joe Gacy with the stipulation that if Breaker gets disqualified, he will lose the championship. Gacy cut a promo in the dark with Druids earlier in the show. It was the same stupid shit we've gotten for weeks. Breaker broke down a wall on his entrance for like the fifth time. It's really tried at this point. They gotta just stop doing that every single special match that he has. There was a really cool touch uh, with Braun wearing Scott Steiner's WrestleMania 9 gear. And given the stipulation, Wade Barrett actually made a great point about Scott being a notable hothead. And given there's a DQ stipulation here, it was interesting that Braun chose to wear his uncle's uh, gear. Gacy came out with the druids. He was wearing a cape. Who wears a cape? Uh, Gacy riled Breaker up with a slap before the bell. Braun caught Gacy with a spinebuster early. A druid handed him a chair that he took for some unknown reason. uh, And Gacy drove him in the chair into the post. Gacy ran through Breaker for a little bit, hitting a sliding basement forearm and a senton on the apron. Gacy did a handstand on the ropes, really for no reason other than mind games. He hit Breaker with a DDT afterward, and he completely dominated the middle of this match. There were actual dual Gacy chants, which was really confusing why anyone in the crowd was behind him from a babyface standpoint. Uh, Braun finally got momentum with two flying shoulder tackles and a spine buster. Then he hit a Tope con Hero in a really big spot. A druid distracted as another threw a chair to Gacy, who did the Eddie Guerrero you know, lying, cheating gimmick where he, you know, makes noise on the mat and plays dead, making believe the other person hit him with a chair. The referee was ready to disqualify Breaker when another referee ran in at the last second to grab his arm and set the record straight. So the batch continued. Gacy wound up on the apron and Breaker speared him through the ropes with Gacy flying like eight to 10 feet through the announce table, which completely exploded. Uh, He probably, Breaker, could have taken a count out finish and won. Instead, he rolled Gacy inside for a flying bulldog and a 2.8. Gacy slid the chair to Braun. He picked it up and gave it to the ref. Gacy hit an expected low blow with the referee turned around. That was a false finish with Braun kicking out. Uh, Breaker then grabbed the chair from the referee. He swung it at a druid over the referee's head. Gacy went to take advantage with a springboard handstand, but Braun absolutely eviscerated him with a spear. Then he added the press power slam finisher to retain the championship in 15 minutes. This, uh, it just, it far exceeded my expectations. It's the best way I can put it. And while it was better from a storytelling standpoint than an in-ring standpoint, it definitely had its moments wrestling wise. Namely, Breaker's two massive spears on Gacy that he sold like death. The first exploding a table and another making it look like Gacy himself exploded. Uh, there's a case to be made right now. I don't know where the argument is, and I'd be curious to hear, that Braun Breaker has the best spear in wrestling. Bobby Lashley's is definitely the most unique. Roman Reigns' is really good. But when Breaker hits his, and you know what? Maybe it's not so much the spear, although it, it does drive the person into the mat. Maybe it's the selling, the fact that he's recently had Dolph Ziggler and Joe Gacy and Tommaso Ciampa selling the spear for him. But as of this moment, when he hits that spear, you feel like the person he hits is going to explode and like not even land on the canvas. His body's just going to be in a million pieces. Like um, someone from The Boys, uh, for anyone who watches that show on Amazon, just someone just completely exploding. So it seeing him hit that, the way he hit it in the two moments he did was super impactful. I also liked that they teased the disqualification a second time because you always expect it the first time with you know, oh, the guy decides to give the chair away and then he gets hit by a low blow and then perhaps that costs them the match. We've seen that hundreds and hundreds of times in WWE alone. But Braun getting so angry by the low blow that he steals the chair back and teases the disqualification a second time, I thought that was a really nice touch. So I'm gonna go 3.75 stars and a B plus for this match. That may be a quarter point too high but the storytelling for me bumped it up. It was a huge, huge improvement from their first match, a worthy main event. And while I still wasn't thrilled with the Breaker and Gacy storyline overall, and I wish it ended after the first match, and I honestly think it's seriously brought down the television product by them feuding, I will say that this match completely delivered, and more importantly, delivered a final end, like a very clear this is the end of the feud. So hopefully Tuesday, this shit doesn't continue. I wouldn't mind if Gacy goes away for like a month or two, comes back with a new refreshed gimmick because this shit with the druids and the spookiness, it doesn't work. It feels like a total ripoff of Bray Wyatt, uh, but in the worst way, because it doesn't even, you can't live up to what Bray Wyatt is. So like, no one can, not Joe Gacy, not anyone. So... To try to do something even remotely similar is a fail, and what they're doing with him, this this readjustment, has been a big failure in terms of his gimmick, but I will say they delivered in the match, good for them and good for NXT. Let's move to what actually ended up being the co-main event of the show, the NXT Tag Team Championship match, pretty deadly, defending against the Creed Brothers, Deadly sang to themselves in a mirror that they hated the Creeds while the Creeds were shown warming up against each other in the gym. During the kickoff show, there was another really aggressive interaction between them and Roderick Strong. The Creeds got a timeline you know, video package showing their life from basically birth through Duke, uh, through joining the WWE Performance Center all the way to now. They also had a new tag team logo with fresh neon yellow gear that still included the Diamond Mine logo on the front. Uh, Their family was in the crowd. There were a ton of signs and Creed cloths that were passed out, and no uh, members of Diamond Mine were at ringside. So that's just setting the stage overall for the match. Uh, Julius Creed got Elton Prince in a stretch muffler, while Brutus had Kit Wilson in an ankle lock, but they simultaneously escaped. Wade Barrett had some interesting commentary saying the American collegiate style that the Creed's use is odd for the British champions. It's something they're not used to seeing. I thought that was interesting. Uh, Julius rolled through a move from Wilson for a turnover suplex. The Creeds then missed their basement lariats as Deadly slid under the ropes. Julius got run into the post before eating a double Uranagi on the steel steps. Julius kept trying to block and overpower Deadly, but he was so beaten down that he kept failing. Wilson put Julius in a stronghold, but he found the ropes. Brutus finally got the hot tag and slapped, he kept slapping the canvas, uh, which is a uh, ode to Duke basketball for those who don't really follow college basketball. He threw Prince into Wilson, then hit a German suplex and Brutus ball into Prince for a broken fall. He appeared to hit the back of his head on a Saito suplex, but he was able to continue. Uh, Title belt got thrown into the ring, but it slid past Wilson and Julius picked it up. He considered using it because he got hit over the head with it last week. Instead, he decided to hand it to the referee. Brutus caught Wilson running and Julius flew off the top rope for an insane shooting star press hitting the Basement Lariat afterward for the 1-2-3 as the Creeds won the NXT Tag Team Championships for the first time in 16 minutes. This match definitely had its rough patches, but holy shit, that finish with Julius hitting the shooting star, he straight up reminded me of Brock Lesnar right there. The difference being he hit it perfectly clean and Brock Lesnar did not. Uh, There was also really strong character work in the moment with him standing on the top rope, kind of like feeling himself, deciding, is it worth it? Like, should I actually attempt and go do this? Then ultimately doing it and nailing it perfectly. Uh, The title change was absolutely the right call, even with Pretty Deadly having a very short reign. I think it's something around 50 days or so. But nevertheless, it was indeed the right call. It wasn't necessarily the Creed's best match, largely because of the extended selling from Julius for like half of the entire bout, but it was their best moment so far on NXT. So the grade here was borderline. I have to say, I was trying to determine what side of the coin to fall on. I am gonna ultimately go with four stars and an A minus. I cannot get to a full A, but I did feel like it was far better, or at least enough better than a B plus. So I wanted to put it in the A range, therefore it's at four. At this point, I would love to see Pretty Deadly get the immediate call up and join Max Dupree on SmackDown. These guys were made to be in a male model stable. It just makes all the sense in the world. And I'm now really excited to see where the Creed storyline goes with Diamond Mine on Tuesday. They're teasing something was strong. Are they gonna butt heads? Or are they all gonna come together? I'm really curious, but the storyline worked, the match story worked, uh, high level work rate, and that shooting star press at the end. When you talk about you know building momentum, Towards the end of the match, you know, a crescendo and then hitting that climax moment. That is exactly what happened in this match. And many times when that happens, you come out of a match feeling better about it than maybe the sum of the overall parts of the match. But this was fantastic. I'm happy. I'm pumped is what I am. Very pumped up for that match. Uh, Let's move to the North American Championship. Cameron Grimes defending against Carmelo Hayes in a match that was probably singled out by the vast majority of viewers, as what they expected to be the match of the night. I think that's fair to say going in. Hayes and Trick Williams were swagged out, looking like money uh, for their entrance. Grimes entered with smoke. He was riding a rocket that was coming down from the moon. It was kind of cute. This started with counters reversals and a lot of technical wrestling. Mello hit a great fling over DDT, bouncing Grimes' dome off the apron to take advantage. There was an extremely weird spot with Trick trying to like, Tie Grimes' hand to the ropes. It didn't work at all. Grimes caught Hayes trying to springboard on the ropes. Uh, both of them flew off the ropes simultaneously for a moonsault in a really big spot. Grimes hit a Huracarana, a PK, and a rotating Uranagi for a near fall. Mellow grabbed the ropes to break a fall after a super kick. Mellow grabbed the top rope to avoid a Poison Rana and hit a code breaker for a 2.8. Grimes avoided the Flying Leg Drop and hit his Spanish Crossbody for a 2.8. Grimes then hit the Poison Rana. Mellow flew outside. So Grimes followed up with a huge tope cannonball into both guys. Trick grabbed Grimes' leg, uh, but ate a cave in on the apron. Melo then caught Grimes running, threw him into the top turnbuckle, and landed the flying leg drop to win the North American Championship in 15 minutes. So this was a strong match. Uh, the crowd was not as hot across the final five minutes as it really should have been. And the finish, I just got to say, it was very typical and formulaic. We've seen that same thing hundreds of times. And I know in wrestling, almost every finish we've seen hundreds of times, but in a situation like this with a title, with a second at ringside being Trick Williams, you just kind of knew this is what was gonna happen. I thought this would easily steal the show. I don't think it did that. I really don't. Um, and then you look at the booking decision of keeping Mello in the mid card with the card championship And taking it off Grimes after two months, after like two years of him waiting to win a real championship in NXT, I just can't defend that decision from a booking standpoint. Melo should be in the main event and Grimes should have held the title probably until Solo, Sokoa, or Grayson Waller was ready to beat him for it. This was very good, don't get me wrong. I just wouldn't say it was great. Something was missing here and I can't exactly put my finger on it. They've both wrestled better against each other They've both wrestled better against other people. And the interference type of finish was just kind of eye rolling for me. So I'm going to settle at four stars and an A minus. I was disappointed that it wasn't better, but obviously it was still entertaining as hell. So I'm not trying to put it down. I just really thought it would completely steal the show. And it ultimately did not do that. Uh, one last thing here Mellow needs a better finisher. Like the leg drop, it doesn't look particularly good, it's not at all unique. I think Kofi Kingston uses it as a setup move. He, it, Mello is way too athletic, young, creative, and cool, frankly, to be using this move. Plus, it's really bad for the lower back, the tailbone, et cetera, for longevity based on the impact of having to hit that finisher over and over again. For me, it's an absolute must-change finisher. The guy needs something better. Is he gonna do a great job as the North American champion again? Of course he absolutely will. Like Mello... The A-Champion gimmick, it works, right? And if he drops it to Solo Sokoa, you know, it looks like he's going to be the number one contender for Great American Bash. That's what I assumed would happen. But maybe that's not what happens. Uh, Or maybe Mello beats him and then Solo has to keep pushing for it and he eventually gets it down the line. I don't know, but it just felt like it was really the wrong spot to change the title. We did get a big title change on the show with the Creed Brothers. Did this one need to happen also? I really just don't think it did. If you were going to change the title, I would have done another triple threat match, probably. And had it been more exciting because I I would have to think back, I don't exactly remember, but I seem to think that I enjoyed the Grimes-Sakoa-Melo match more than this one, if memory serves. Um, And I definitely enjoyed their first one more than this. There's no question about it. All right, let's move to the two women's championship matches. First, the singles match for the NXT Women's Championship, Mandy Rose defending against Wendy Chu. Uh, there was a really fun dream sequence with Chu pranking Toxic Attraction and winning the title. She then woke up in a bed on the stage with all of her stuffed animals and her pillow and stuff. She made her entrance. Then after that, Mandy came out. And let me just say, it was a stark contrast between Wendy Chu uh, and Mandy Rose. It good, but she's got me saying, hey, now! Mandy attacked before the bell uh, and Chu made her look really good with a lot of selling early in the match. Wendy hit a cartwheel splash inside, but Mandy caught the same move cold on the ramp. Chu broke the count at 9.99 and ate a spine buster for a 2.8 count. Chu used her body pillow to avoid a running knee from Rose, so Mandy just ripped it apart and gutted the entire thing with foam all over the ring. Uh, Polyester, probably. Uh, Wendy removed her pajamas uh, to show a toxic attraction shirt with the faces all X'd out. Then she wrapped her legs around Mandy and appropriately tried a sleeper hold, but Rose found the ropes. Chu hit a hooked Uranagi, but Rose grabbed the tight-up portion of her pajamas, tossed her off the top rope, and immediately came back by hitting her running knee to retain the title in 11 minutes. So anytime you go into a championship match, any type of title match, any company, any show, knowing that there is no chance of the champion losing, the wrestlers in the match are immediately facing an uphill battle as soon as the bell rings. And that was certainly the case here. Wendy's extended hope spot, it was pretty well done, I'm gonna say. But Mandy didn't particularly sell well for her. And again, there was never a thought that a title change was actually possible here. So you never believed any of the few semi-false finishes that Wendy got. It was probably as good as one could expect out of this match booking. There's no doubt that Wendy carried Mandy in the match. So I'm gonna say three stars and a B minus, which is saying that this was a fine, entertaining match that was well above average but it certainly wasn't anything to write home about. The bigger issue is that Mandy's reign as NXT Women's Champion, it's just, it's killing me at this point. It is longer than the individual reigns of Raquel Gonzalez, Rhea Ripley, Ember Moon, and Sasha Banks. And I think by the time NXT happens on Tuesday, it's also gonna be longer than Bailey's NXT title reign as well. It's just been way too long, way too dominant, And given there's at least another, what, half dozen, maybe six to eight women in NXT who would be better champions than her, it's extremely frustrating that she still has the title. There's been no movement in the division for about eight months now. And a title change is so overdue at this point. My hope, upon all hopes, is they change this title. Maybe they change both women's titles at NXT Great American Bash, which was announced for Tuesday, July 5th. One day, of course, after Independence Day, I really hope they change some titles on that show because the women's division badly needs to be refreshed. It has been far too long and far too stagnant with Toxic Attraction holding all the titles. There was another title match, though. The Women's Tag Team Championships. Toxic Attraction defending against Kaden Carter and Katana Chance. The KCs got an extended EDM entrance, and they jumped on the shoulders of a couple dudes. Uh, they also quickly hit some high-risk moves outside once the bell rang, with Katana Chance doing a torneo. Chance later hit an assisted draping double stomp for a near fall. Then she did an assisted huracarana, taking JC Jane off the top rope into Gigi Dolan on the canvas for a near fall. Chance ate a rushed spinning clothesline high-low finisher, but the fall was broken. Carter then took Jane out with a nice cutter on the ring apron. Chance botched what was supposed to be like a standing moonsault off Dolan's back. She just like landed on the mat but she did hit the assisted elevated 450 for a fall broken up by Jane, who later took Chance out headfirst into the apron. Toxic combined for a knockout punch through the ropes and a German suplex with Carter basically landing straight on her neck uh, to retain the titles in 10 minutes. This was just messier than I would have liked, probably over the final three or four minutes of the match. And it was another retention for Toxic, which is just eye-rolling at this point from a booking perspective. But the finish was done well, And the Casey's once again proved they belong on the main roster, as I've said dozens of times now. So this was nothing amazing. It was a B match, uh, 3.5, 3.25. I would probably need to see it again to determine which exact number grade, but it was a flat B, very solid, very entertaining overall. I'm not exactly sure what's gonna happen with Roxanne Perez in the NXT breakout tournament on Tuesday, but it sure feels like she and Cora Jade Maybe the tag team to take the titles off of Toxic. Either way, as I said with Mandy, the division needs to move forward and it just feels like it's completely stuck in neutral with Toxic holding all the women's titles. The opening match of the show was Legato Del Fantasma against Tony D'Angelo, Stacks, and Two Dimes. Uh, It was appropriate as an opener. It was the only non-title match. And of course, don't forget the stipulation that the losers of this match would fall under the employment of the winners. Uh, There was a really big pop when Santos Escobar and D'Angelo first touched, but the groups brawled soon after that. The Guidos got on top with a huge assisted backbreaker elbow drop onto Cruz del Toro. Escobar got the hot tag and cleaned house as Legato did a really awesome double step up springboard splash off the top rope outside. They dominated until Stax held Escobar's leg on the ropes. He and D'Angelo crashed down. There's a really good back and forth from there with some sweet counters. Uh, Legato hit their still unnamed, like, Three years later, high-low finisher, uh, only for the fall to get broken. The crowd erupted with a This Is Awesome chant. I think it was the only This Is Awesome chant we got the entire night. All six squared off and brawled. Escobar and D'Angelo knocked each other down. Electro Lopez handed Escobar brass knuckles, while D'Angelo got slipped a crowbar on the other corner of the ring. Wilde stole the crowbar and struck stacks with it, while D'Angelo stole the brass knucks and knocked out both legato members with it. Two dimes then pushed an out-cold stack, the guy was completely knocked out. He pushed him over like a two-by-four. He fell flat onto his face, but on top of Wild for the one-two-three with the Guidos winning in 13 minutes. The pace of this match was insane, especially in the finish. And while the booking was extremely smart, commentary completely missed that D'Angelo stole the Knucks live. We did get an immediate replay though, so that was of course okay. Given the gimmicks and the entire feud, not having a clean finish here was not only expected, but completely acceptable. And they basically did it as creatively as they possibly could. So I did appreciate that. It was a step below an A-level match, I would say. So I'll say 3.75 stars and a B plus. But if you were a quarter star higher with an a-, I-, I totally accept that. I probably could stand to go back and watch it a second time. And maybe if I did, it would kind of push me over the top. But this was extremely entertaining. It was a perfect opener for the show. The pinfall with Stax being knocked out cold was fantastic. I'm not sure how Legato joining D'Angelo's family is going to work from a storyline standpoint, but we're gonna find out on Tuesday. Uh, maybe they play it all the way out to war games and that's eventually what we get, but that's November. That's still a pretty far way off, so who knows exactly. And I will repeat one more time. Legato Del Fantasma should be on the main roster. Santos Escobar is someone who should be booked as a future champion. They have it. The fans, the crowd absolutely loves them. They're super over. They're incredible in the ring. They can all speak. It's it's a great group. And Electro Lopez adds a nice element as well. Just move them up. They've been there far too long at this point. Hopefully WWE sees the way the crowds react to them. The crowd was so damn loud for Legado Del Fantasma. Probably like Legado... And the Creed brothers got the strongest reactions, I would say, on the entire show. Hopefully they recognize that. Uh, There were only two other things that happened on the show. Uh, There was a vignette for Alba Fire. After it was over, Lash Legend was shown talking shit about her. Uh, Tatum Paxley said that Legend should challenge her. She refused. So Paxley said, well, if you're gonna be a coward, I'm gonna go ahead and do it. So we're gonna get Alba Fire against Tatum Paxley Tuesday. Also, Roxanne Perez and Tiffany Stratton were interviewed ahead of the breakout tournament final. Stratton said she's a woman Roxanne is a little girl. Perez said it's the biggest match of her life and she's worked so hard for this that she refuses to walk out without the contract. So a nice little bit of a build before we go ahead and get to uh, NXT on Tuesday. So that's the breakdown of uh, NXT in your house. I, almost, I I keep pausing when I say that because I wanna say NXT TakeOver and it's tough to like remember not to say that, but that is the full uh, instant analysis of NXT in your house, which means it is time for us to go to the post-show grades. And I'm going to start with you all, the getting overheads, the listeners, our followers on Twitter. At the time of me uh, you know, recording this podcast, we still have a little bit of time left on the poll, but it's pretty clear what the grade is going to be. We had 29% as an A, 67% as a B, 2% as a C, and 2% as a D or F which I think makes this the highest graded or highest rated post takeover non-TV special. (laughs) I don't exactly know how to like break it down, but a premium live event for NXT 2.0 is basically what I'm trying to say. I don't believe there's ever been one of these shows where there's been basically no Cs, basically no Ds, with so many people agreeing that it was an A or a B show. And that's good to see. I would say with 29% A and 67% B, that's very clearly a B plus, what your what your guys' overall grades are. And I completely agree with that. It exceeded my expectations enough. If you remember, I came in with a B. It exceeded them enough to deserve a higher grade. And while there were a couple matches that were in that lower A range, A, A minus, um, the show as a whole was not an A show. In order to be an A show or an A-plus show, you're talking NXT TakeOver New Orleans, WrestleMania X7, like, you know, to to do better than an A-minus is very, very difficult. So when you're really deciding between A-minus and B-plus, you're saying, well, was it overall a strong enough show to get to that A-minus category? And I can't really get there, but it was a B-plus. It was an extremely enjoyable two and a half hours. Um, You know, the fact that we got six matches in two and a half hours, They all got a pretty good amount of time. I believe the longest match was 16 minutes. The shortest one was nine. You know, maybe that one could have been a little bit longer and maybe the longest one could have been in the 20 range, but we're nitpicking at that point, right? You know, everything getting enough time to breathe and the bell ringing and and you kind of saying, well, that was a complete match and like not thinking, oh, that was too short. That's really all you need when you're kind of determining whether matches get the appropriate amount of length. So yeah, I'm right with you guys. B-plus, I think it was a better storytelling show than it was a wrestling show. But this is sports entertainment, professional wrestling after all. Not everything has to be directly about work rate. And yes, the wrestling could have been better in some spots, um, but the storyline was pretty solid all the way through. Uh, Commentary did a fantastic job. The WWE Performance Center looked nice. Uh, They didn't go what they did previously with like, changing the set and actually putting the facade of a house out there. You know, they just did everything graphically on the screens, but it looked cool. We had some decent entrances. Overall, this was a very enjoyable way uh, to spend a Saturday night watching professional wrestling. And that's really all you can ask for. So that is our NXT in your house instant analysis. I hope you all enjoyed uh, my thoughts on the latest NXT premium live event. Please do not forget, we are going to be back On Sunday with WWE Hell in a Cell coverage. We will have a pre-show live on Twitter Spaces 6:30 p.m. Eastern. Do not miss that. Follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. And we will be right back here around the same time, Sunday evening, with WWE Hell in a Cell Instant Analysis. Please do not miss our instant reaction podcast that we published on Friday night after CM Punk announced he is out indefinitely and AEW is going to crown an interim world champion. And do not forget to join us on Tuesday for our WWE show coming out of Hell in a Cell. Everything that goes down on, or, or eventually goes down on Raw, plus everything that already happened on SmackDown. And there's a lot to talk about from SmackDown. And then next Thursday, we will also have an AEW and NXT show. So plenty of getting over wrestling podcast coming up between now and Thursday. But at this point, the Silver King only has one thing left to remind you. And that is that this show. All about so head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave a five star rating on Apple. Also leave a review. Tell people why they should listen and subscribe to this podcast. Those ratings, those reviews mean so much to us, especially when we go ahead and put in a lot of extra work, which we will be doing three straight days from Friday all the way through Sunday with bonus episodes covering big news in AEW, NXT in your house, and WWE hell in a cell thank you all for listening i will see you sunday night but at this time the silver king is going to leave you with three final words bye for now